Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from TalkSport. This is Paul Hawksby and this is the H&J Daily with some of the best bits of this afternoon's show. It was a busy one. We caught up with Clive Tildesley who admitted he's tweaking his uh, commentary style uh, in a world with no uh, fans in the stadium. We also caught up with John Ketley, weatherman and indeed Burnley fan. He looked at his club's uh, plight at the moment and told us whether we should expect another heat wave. Uh, we also spoke to uh, Ian Stone, comedian and Arsenal supporter. He told us about his new book, about his love of uh, his favourite band, The Jam. And uh, also we spoke to uh, comedian and Leeds fan John Richardson. He has a new uh, podcast out called uh, The Future Noughts. And uh, we spoke to one of the Future Noughts as well, uh, Mark Stevenson. So it's that, it's Striker. And indeed, uh, some old clips from 2005. Good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon, Andy. Good afternoon, Paul. Good afternoon, everybody. And uh, yeah, it's funny, last night was another couple of one-sided games. I find we're only watching till half-time. I mean, you know, when United <laughs> are 2 nil, No, but Liverpool was so yeah. in command. You just think, well, you know what's going to happen here. As much as I, I admired how brilliantly they played. I mean, they did. They were fantastic. I did Andy, that in the first game, Andy. I, um, I, I, Manchester United at 2-0, it was all over. And, and so I, I went to Norwich Everton. So I just flicked around. We should just tidy up our little T20 um, Fools panel last night, Andy. Um, we just before oh, yeah. the end of the show, we raced through some predictions. Uh, that means I obviously did badly. Well, no, no, not at all, Andy, not at all. Uh, Sheffield, you said uh, United won Sheffield Wednesday nil. I went 2-1. Of course, it was 3-0, so we both got a point yeah. there. Yes. For getting the outcome right. Newcastle versus Aston Villa. You went 2-1 Newcastle. I went 1-0. All. Oh, blimey, it was a direct hit. So I get three <laughs> points for that. Uh, then we had Norwich versus Everton, Andy. Um, you went to 2-1 Everton. I went 1-0, so I didn't get a point there. But oh, you did. Um, yes. Wolves versus Bournemouth. Um, you went 4-0 uh, Wolves. 4-0, I said. Yeah, it was only 1-0, wasn't it? I went, it could, have, it could have been worse. I went 2-1, um, so we both got a point each. And finally, Liverpool Palace. You went 1-0, I went 2-1, and we got a point each. So ultimately, you got yeah. four points, but my direct hit gave me six. I am the winner. But you as you said, champion. I probably wouldn't have brought that up <laughs> had, had it been the other way around. That's how pathetic I am. I- 
I don't mind. And uh, Palace, of course, stripped of most of their weapons. I mean, if you'd known Zaha yeah. was going to last five minutes, Benteke and Mihailovic weren't going to play, Milivojevic, rather, weren't going to play, then, you know, you probably wouldn't have, you'd, you'd have revised your score. Uh, football without fans, of course, is rubbish. We all know that. But fair play to United last night. I thought the mural at Old Trafford was sensational. 103 countries represented mm. shows you what United are. So, it's, uh, yeah, it was impressive. Um, Mikel Arteta, he's, this is a great headline this is Champions League looks out of reach admits Arteta blimey I'd be more worried about staying up mate about <laughs> Champions League I can't see them winning another game this season they just look just abject to me no, I can't, I think, maybe they'll, they'll I prove me wrong tonight I think you're sticking your neck out there a little bit and that's not really easy tonight though we'll look at that game later on because Southampton looked pretty decent yeah, didn't they but it's lucky they've got 40 points it is because their form is so poor <laughs> Cool, you're really? loving this. Talk about kicking when they're down. Oh, that's um, great, isn't of it? Of course, your mob play tonight uh, against Manchester yeah, City. Could be uh, difficult. Why are you concerned? I mean, you've, you've been you've been playing okay. Well, they're you? extremely good. Yes, <laughs> they've yeah. got lots of in a, in a in a 15 man game or whatever 16 man game, which post lockdown football is. Let's be honest. You know, it's not an 11 a side game or a 14. It's more. You know, it's, it's so you've got that extra two subs. It makes a difference. We've got a great squad, but they've got a fantastic squad. So I think it just plays into City's hands. And although no Aguero, I've noticed in the yeah. past if Chelsea have ever done anything against City, it's been when Aguero is been missing so he just loves scoring against Chelsea so we'll see what happens I'm going to enjoy the game whatever happens and if we get something out of it that'll be terrific I mean United and Wolves definitely are they're closely closing in aren't they and uh, so we'll, we'll see what happens um, you see uh, Michael Atherton has been writing about cricketers and what cricketers might do in the winter having, mm. you know with the finances of the game stretching he's saying that they should be allowed to take jobs and he was talking and he in within this piece there was an interesting nugget that he revealed that harry pilling who was five foot three and used to play for lancashire yeah good batsman, but he was tiny used to be a grave digger in the winter that really? was his job. Yeah. I hope the graves weren't too deep. He'd have never got out of them, let's oh, be no. honest. Could have been there for years, <laughs> couldn't he? <laughs> It'd be possible. But playing so, uh, county cricketers did. I mean, back in the day, and for those that weren't fortunate, fortunate enough to maybe coach abroad or tour abroad for teams, they all had other jobs. That was Gladstone Small. Gladstone was in the insurance business. And it must yeah. have been weird sometimes because you'd watch these guys and they were your sort of heroes and you'd watch them play and then suddenly he'd rock up with his portrait getting out of his Mondeo. With his garage sandwich, it would be it would be weird, wouldn't it? Really, but that was it would that be was, weird. Yeah. That was the what it was like then, of course. It's true. That was the way. No, no oh. question about it. And I see that Olive from on the buses, her favourite player Arthur, is on the move to Juventus. You see, it's a very strange swap deal being muted, and it sounds like it's going to go ahead. Right, uh, Arthur to Juventus and Pjanic to. Barcelona. But oh, yeah, it doesn't Pjanic. surprise me, Pjanic. I didn't know there was a... Yeah, yeah he's a, be, you he's said a better player moves, than Arthur. I don't know. Yeah, swap moves generally don't happen, do they? As you often say, maybe that's going to be a, a, one of the kind of differences we'll see now with the way the world is. Yeah, I think that's true. And uh, I thought it was very interesting you were telling me on the phone this morning about Norwich Everton and the colourblind situation. Yeah. I know Richard Keyes has been banging on about this for years and I never well, really thought it was a problem. But it, when you spoke to me this morning, you realised, well, it is a problem. Well, it was just, it came off the back of uh, following Gary Lineker on, on social media. I just saw he had a message from the chief constable of uh, the Leicestershire Police Force, Simon Cole, who obviously is colourblind, and he said, he said the Norwich-Everton game is almost unwatchable for all colourblind viewers. He said that's one in 12 men and one in 200 women. Could only be worse if bright sunshine and deep shadow. And he went, oh, 
exactly what the problem was. <laughs> uh, normal kit, blue shirt, white shorts, and yellow shirt, green shorts equals fine. And Gary went back and made the point that obviously they have no control over the colour of kits, but he, he, he took the point. And then that was followed up by colourblindawareness.org who said, uh, Gary, for info, football's been aware of this since 2015, and Premier League clubs are notified by uh, Premier League in advance of uh, colourblind kit clashes, but clubs can knowingly override this for their own reasons, uh, which is often flogging the last of the third kit before (laughs) the end. It's a marketing decision a lot of the time, isn't it? of course it is, So, look, they have their right to do that, but maybe they should have a an eye to the problems. I'm a bit colourblind. I mean, I remember that, that book they used to give you that had numbers and letters in And I just looked at that and I said, this is a joke, isn't it? There's no numbers in letters in that. And then I had a follow-up <laughs> test. But, I mean, I actually, after reading this, I went back and watched some highlights again because I, I wasn't aware that I had an issue last night, but I went back and watched again. So I'm guessing the colours I have a problem with were not the colours that Everton and Norwich were wearing because I didn't majorly have a problem. But it's it's clearly a bit of a thing for those that do, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, it's, isn't it normally red and green? Isn't that the most common one? I, don't want to I think, that, I think so. that may <laughs> well be that may well be mine, which is, uh, surprisingly, I haven't got any points on my licence yet. So I, mean, I, don't know if, I should have jumped hundreds of lights on that basis, but thankfully yeah. I haven't. Or not a big fan of Liverpool versus Plymouth. Wouldn't be a great fixture. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it would be. Well, yeah, I, I, the way Liverpool are going. I mean, that was the best performance we've seen <clears throat> since the return. Post I take all your points yeah. about Palace. I mean, it's easy to keep that intensity up to an extent when you're so dominant. But having said that, they're just a joy to watch. I mean, they City and Liverpool are the obviously. I'm not. This is not startling news. No, clear, are the two clear. standout sides? But as you say, Andy, I think next year with your acquisitions, you'll be strong. United will be strong. United um, definitely be strong. It's going to take a lot Wolves. for Tottenham and Leicester and others just to kind of keep up with those four. So. Um, they're going to have to watch how things go. I wouldn't go. write Wolves off. I think a lot depends with Wolves and whether they keep you know, their best yeah, exactly. players, obviously. And the manager. Indeed. The Hawksby and Jacobs daily podcast from TalkSport. Paul Hawksby and Jacobs here on TalkSport. Now, what's everybody talking about at the moment? Football oh, and yeah. the weather. And there is only one right. man. There is only one only man one. who can only bring <laughs> those two things together uh, in, in discussion form. And he joins us now. He is a weatherman, Burnley fan. Mr. John Ketley. Good afternoon, John. Uh, it's good afternoon, Paul. Good afternoon, Andy. We're all talking about the weather, not football. Has it started again? We're going to come on to the weather. We're going to kick off with football. We're going to take you back to breakfast this morning. Uh, Ali yeah. McCoy was chatting about Burnley oh, uh, yeah. and Sean Dyson. This is what he had to say. What he's done with Burnley, European football, you know, he's done a fantastic job. Alan, a fantastic job. And timing is everything, as we know in football. Timing is everything. Is it the right time for, for Sean to get out and get, you know, take his talents? Uh, that's the thing. That is the big, big question. Do English coaches get an ideal opportunity at the top, top clubs? When the time comes, I'm not sure this is the time, but if and when it comes, he will take some replacing. Ali McCoyst and uh, Alan on uh, breakfast this morning. And I said something quite similar last week. It was just, I mean, I'm sure, like all Burnley fans, John, you've been reading between the lines. You've looked at what some of the stuff that Sean has said about the board and his frustrations with uh, the players not signing new contracts and the paucity of the squad, maybe, when that happens. And you must be slightly alarmed as someone who's a fan of his. Well, yes, because he's he's been great for Burnley, absolutely fantastic. And I don't think he's on the way out the door yet. Uh, I think we have a long way to go still. But it is disappointing. They've taken three months off without a game of football. And and now we've come back to play and we haven't sorted out these contracts and everything else. I think it's uh, very disappointing that. I mean, 
yeah, it was, it was hopelessly the night, wasn't it? Five nil, another five nil at, uh, at the Hediad, and that was uh, that was shocking, really. Uh, but um, no, it's disappointing that the situation of the club is in th- uh, this state at the moment. I think after three months without kicking a ball, they should have got something sorted out by now. Yeah, so I was saying, locally, is there that feeling that the club haven't supported him, John, and they could have done more for him? Well, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm not. Uh, I'm not. I've got my ear to the ground up around the terrace rows around Turf Moor at the <laughs> moment. But uh, you know, uh, we are <laughs> keeping apart. But uh, there, there must be something going on that we don't know about, obviously. Uh, but Sean is an honest man, and that's the main thing, isn't it? He's an honest man. They're they're a good board. It's a fantastic club. Uh, it's been at the root of my interest ever since I was a baby. And uh, I think it'll all be sorted out amicably in the end. That's the main thing. Mm. A bit like Newcastle, John, uh, and uh, Burnley are in that situation where coming back, you could kind of forgive them for not having the intensity. I know there's a lot of money involved every time you drop down a place in the Premier League, but they were safe coming back. They weren't going to get in the playoffs. They weren't going to be top six. They weren't going to go down. So I think that maybe affects the mindset a little bit. Well, I think it's a bad match, isn't it? It's a bad match to come back to, mm. to be playing City away on the first uh, first time they all yes. turn up again. Uh, you wouldn't wish that on anybody, really. But And they uh, had a game to sharpen up, of course, Well, of they? course. I mean, we don't know what Burnley have been doing behind the scenes. They've probably been playing 11-11 to 11 against somebody else. But, uh, mm. you know, they've got... To, uh, I'm not saying an easy fixture list, but they've got some winnable games still to come. And, uh, you know, the qu- there's, no, there's no issue where they are. They're going to finish mid-table. They're not going to go into Europe the way things are at the moment. And they're not going to go down. Uh, so they do need a bit more um, inspiring, I suppose. Sean's got to work hard at the inspirational side of his game. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we've got some fairly easy games still to come. And we've got another nine points there, possibly. As a fan, then, every year, John, when the season starts, what are you hoping for? Do you start saying, well, I hope we stay up first? Is that is that sort of always number one? Or well, do you start with greater ambitions than yeah, that? Yeah, well, you know, we, we're half full and half empty and all that. And I think this season... Uh, I was very optimistic that we'd try and get top half, and that's where my money was. I was going for a top half finish, and I think it's still a possibility. You know, mm. they're only 12th, and it's mm. only a couple of points off 10th or something. Um, and other teams around them aren't playing that well either. I mean, nobody's going to be playing very well at the moment. The only people who are inspired at the moment are <laughs> Liverpool, quite frankly, and the ones trying to get out of uh, the relegation zone. Uh, so, uh, no, I think if you... Now, we're, we're established in that league and uh, if you can try and get a top-half finish, I think that's a fantastic season for a small-town club. It would be different if you were talking about Tottenham and Everton and Chelsea, obviously, but um, from where we are and where we've been, I think where we, we currently sit in 12th position is a brilliant, brilliant performance. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do in the next window, John, because, the, you know, the, you can see that the, he knows what he's doing. You can see that he, if he's got his full team, yeah. things are good. But, you know, it's lacking depth. I mean, Barnes and Wood, yeah. if they're both missing, that makes it very difficult for Burnley, doesn't it? I didn't know it took so long to get over in a hernia operation, quite frankly. Actually, Barnes hasn't played for months, has he? Yeah. And he's still unlikely to play again this season, I suppose. I don't know. Uh, but mm. uh, it seems to take an awful long time to get over these injuries and uh, uh, surgery, obviously. But um, very difficult to know from the outside. I don't think anybody's really got the finger on the pulse at the moment with all the uh, the quiet weather. That, oh, not the quiet weather. I'm see. I'm going straight on to the weather now. You boys. <laughs> uh, I've, I've lost my interest in football. I'm going back to the weather straight off. But no, I think yeah, because perfect. we haven't got the finger on the pulse of any club, quite honestly, uh, we just don't know what's going on behind the scenes. And, and as a club, it's going to be interesting to see if there is any reaction. The club's been in the news for reasons they rather have not been over the last few days. And yep. it's pretty clear from Benby that the players and the manager and everybody at the club is very angry about what happened. It'll be interesting to see if they 
they could feed off that anger or, or it has kind of got to them a little bit as a group of well, players because it wasn't pleasant, yeah, was it? I think them? it got to them on Wednesday night or whenever it was, Tuesday, mm. was it? What night was it? I don't know. Um, no, it was Monday, wasn't it? I think. Yeah, Monday, um, Monday night. Yeah. yeah, I think it got to them straight away. I think they were absolutely shocked when that thing happened. And uh, I think it did leave a nasty taste in the mouth for the first uh, half an hour of the game. Uh, by which time, of course, we were already losing. But um, they were never going to come back from from a, a deficit at, uh, at the Etihad, the way things yeah. were. Uh, but uh, they will bounce back. There's no question about that. They bounce back a lot more if we had a crowd. And, um, hmm. you know, we've we've got points there to, to steal, I'm sure, in the next few games. Yeah. Now, on to the weather then, uh, which you're obviously keen to do. Um, (laughs) um, We've seen the play very hot last night. I've seen a few people suggesting that maybe they should have been 7.30 and 9.30 kickoffs as their kind of TV events uh, to give the players, a bit like they have in parts of Spain, because we've been told it's as hot here as it is in Crete or whatever. Yeah, it is. So, I mean... uh, But what's the reason for starting at 6 o'clock everywhere? What is the reason given for that, do you know? I suppose it's kind of peak time viewing, isn't it, really? I think they'll get bigger audiences. um, They're all all outside and having a barbecue, aren't they? (laughs) (laughs) But what's in store, John? I mean, there's still got, you know, a good few weeks left. I mean, what's what's likely to happen to the weather over the next few weeks? Yeah, we're not used to playing football in this sort of condition. I mean, I'm looking at the temperature is now across the board. Bournemouth Beach is packed again, not surprising. Temperature's 31 there. It's 31 degrees at Hampstead Heath, and it's 31 degrees at Farnborough, Middle Wallop in uh, Salisbury Plain, and all these other places. So it's another very hot day. In fact, it could be another degree higher than it was yesterday when we got to uh, 32.6, I think it was, at uh, Heathrow, West London. Uh, so we're a degree higher than yesterday. It's even hotter over Scotland and Northern Ireland than it was yesterday as well. But there are storms coming, and that's going to be good news. It will certainly scatter the crowds across Bournemouth beaches. Uh, <laughs> but um, but they won't get there during daylight hours today. The storms are um, they're going to come into Cornwall and south and west Wales through through the afternoon. And there are some storms too for northwest Scotland. So there is a breakdown on the way, but it'll still be a very sultry night. It'll be hard work playing football, I can tell you, wherever they are um, this evening. Uh, including Turf Moor, it'll still be very hot there. Uh, we're not used to it, you see. You, you no. know, how, how often do you see the pictures over the terrace rows around Turf Moor with snow on top of the yeah, uh, of, of the houses or on top of the hills? It, you know, it's, it's a it's very unusual true. situation. We don't normally play football on the 25th of June, but there we go. Uh, maybe it's an omen for three points. I don't know. It could be a nil-nil, but we won't go there. Um, uh, no, there's a big breakdown in in the weather anyway. That's that's the good news really for football fans. Okay, that's good. So, so what, you, storms are coming, but then after that, I mean, it was normally yeah, the weather sort of in July and mid, August mid is range, quite yeah. sultry, hot. The mid-range yeah. forecast, John. What are we looking at for the re- remainder of the Premier League season? Well, is it what sixteenth of July? Does it go through to something like that? Round that, mm. yeah. Well, I'm still polishing my crystal ball on that one. It's a long way <laughs> off, but uh, mm. it, it really <laughs> is very, very uh, mixed. You know, and when, when I say mixed, it's what you'd probably talk about uh, the weather reverting to type, and you're looking at British weather which is unreliable in July it was brilliant at the end of last year in July and it was brilliant at the end of the July in 2018 as well in fact 2018 June was fantastic uh, but uh, th- at the moment as far as you can see to the end of uh, the football season it's going to be very mixed there will be bands of rain coming through and it'll be much cooler as well I think if you're looking at temperatures typically 19 to 24 uh, across all football grounds for the rest of the season. That'll be much more pleasant for playing in, I can say. Uh, but there will be some rain around as well. So um, I think everybody will be happy with that unless you're trying to get on the beach. 
That's right. Yeah, which uh, you, you probably shouldn't be doing anyway uh, unless you're able to socially distance. Well, are you going to move all those uh, hundreds of thousands of people yeah. off Bournemouth Beach for us? The Hawksby and Jacobs daily podcast from TalkSport. Trawry's on the ball again and again going past people and finding Doherty just outside the penalty area. And it's in first time of the volley and it's a brilliant goal by Neto. And Wolves lead by two goals to nil. Cross from Doherty this time and a thunderous first time volley by Pedro Neto. Doubles Wolverhampton Wanderers lead. Inside the last six minutes. And Wolves lead by two goals to nil. Yes, one of the best goals we've seen uh, since the restart at London Stadium where Wolves beat West Ham. That's Clive Tilsley uh, commentating. Very much the style we've become accustomed to, trademark Clive, but uh, he does admit that he feels maybe, or has indeed already slightly tweaked his style for uh, the crowdless games. And he joins us now. Good afternoon, Clive. Hi, guys. What is it then about, what's the difference, uh, do you find? Well, I'm talking about television rather than radio commentary. Mm. Um, I'm often asked to, to lecture media undergraduates, often asked to mentor young commentators. And one of the recurring questions about the basic technique of what we do is do television commentators talk too much? And right now you've got thousands of talk sport listeners shouting at their radios and devices. <laughs> yes, you do. And for me, for me Clive, um, we are talking more and more and have been for a while. I think a conversational style of commentary has crept into television broadcasting. We often hear three-handed, maybe even more in a commentary team now. It's more chatty, it's more familiar, it's nicknames, it's in-jokes. And I think he can get a bit too chummy and start to, to wander and to ramble. But I wonder if the new soundtrack to live football on television actually suits a more conversational approach and I posed the question on my Instagram account on Tuesday night and I think the majority of followers followers liked the more casual colloquial style I think you know we had a chat about this Clive last night I mean I I think that TV is so different to radio and I think in TV you know that the, the triple hander can work. I mean, for example, uh, Jamie Carragher in the stadium or something like that, and they go to him, even though it's an empty stadium. I don't have a problem with that. I think in radio, though, it, it, it is different. I think you do, you, it's not cricket. You don't get the chance to sort of reflect and, and, and do that. It, basically, we just want the commentator to commentate and the, anal- the analyst to analyse, and, and, and it can be fun. But I think once it starts to get you know too chatty and too friendly, it, it loses something. Well, you've, you've got to serve your audience, and obviously the audience is in a different position as a, as a radio listener to a television viewer. The start of that process is always identifying your audience, and the audience for a League Two playoff game on Sky is different in size and profile for, from, say, an FA Cup quarterfinal this coming weekend on BBC One. I mean, even last night, the, the Premier League game on BBC drew a peak audience of around about 2.5 million, and so did the Liverpool match on Sky, but the Newcastle Villa game on BT Sport didn't reach 250,000 at any stage. So for that game, you've probably got fans who are more committed to the two clubs playing. And, and they may find conversations about drinks, breaks and substitution rules and references to Brexit and goodness knows what, a bit of a distraction. I mean, how do you feel when you're listening to a Chelsea game, Andy, and somebody starts talking about something completely different? Uh, angry. <laughs> I'm always. I'm in a state of permanent anger when I'm yeah, watching. Yeah, he's, he's always in that and high anxiety. And, no, and I think it's just you don't. Yeah, go on, Paul. 
I was going to say, Clive, that the it, it, quite a lot of it's in the evolution of the role of the co-commentator, certainly in TV and how... I mean, we talked to Motti in the past about this, and he remembers a time when he would be working with Jimmy Hill, and he, he could control, he, could phys- he had to physically hand the mic to Jimmy for him to say something, and then he would do his best to prise it out of Jimmy's hand again. But it was different. I mean, it wasn't a double-hander. You, you brought the co-commentator in, the colour man in, to do his thing when you wanted to, but... That's changed, hasn't it? Well, when David Coleman was the first lead commentator to work with a co-commentator on the BBC, he insisted there would only ever be one microphone so that he would decide when we heard from the other guy. I just think when the audience is bigger, when you're talking about an FA Cup tie on the Beeb this weekend, which who knows, maybe six, eight, who knows, maybe 10 million, maybe not if the sun's shining. I guess you've got more general football fans who are just cherry picking people who haven't got access to sky and bt and don't forget less than half of uk households do have access to sky or or bt and so i think they maybe want more of an overview want more discussion want more entertainment in effect they want the gaps filling in the natural pauses being occupied and of course the natural pauses at the moment are pregnant pauses aren't they it sounds strange the other thing is, though, that you've got within that audience, you've got people who know an awful lot about something, and then you know, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, those people who don't. And the, the trouble is, if you don't some get it right in the middle somewhere, you're going to annoy the people who basically know all about the game and just go, well, don't tell me that, I knew that already. And the other people who are still, you know, need a bit of a bit of help. It is quite difficult sort of getting the right path, so, so to speak. Yeah, and the bigger the audience, we talk a lot about diversity, the more diverse the audience is likely to be in every sense, in terms not only of of race and gender, but also in terms of how involved in football they are. I mean, here's the thought for you. I actually think commentary is listened to much less than it was 10 years ago. I mean, what's the last memorable commentator's quote from any of us on in television commentary? Yeah, occasionally, I get Twitter abuse about commentary on games that I'm not at. I'm sat at home with a glass of wine. You know, it might be a channel that I've never worked for in my life. And I think that there is now or has been so much communal viewing of football before the pandemic that the commentator's contribution has become diluted. And maybe actually in the last couple of weeks, people are stuck at home and they've actually... Have you ever listened to Ken Walston home and people like that and just see how it's evolved, Clive? Absolutely, yeah. No, I think it's fascinating. And I listen to commentary uh, from other sports too. If I'm working with a co-commentator for the for the first time and they ask me for any advice, I ask them to name the sport that they really like but don't particularly know and then identify the co-commentator in that sport. It might be, I don't know, it might be a Nasser Hussain. It might be a Martin Brundle. Somebody who actually amplifies that sport for them, a sport that they don't know as deeply as, as, the, as they know football. And I think you can learn an awful lot from that person about how to project football to a more general audience, which perhaps don't live and eat it and talk about it as we do professionally every day. Mm. Now, just on to um, uh, Merseyside football, and uh, you worked for Radio City for many years in a period where... Liverpool and Everton were were really dominant. You probably never thought it was going to be thirty years since uh, uh, until they picked up another title. No, I didn't. Um, I, I think there are all kinds of reasons for that, um, and and that's the very last thing that any Liverpool fan is 
reflecting on at the moment. Um, you know, we've just set up this this little uh, enterprise with commentarycharts.com where we're publishing some of the prints of some of the charts from the great games that I've done in the past. Mm. And Manchester United and Liverpool, in, in marketing terms, in commercial terms, are so far ahead of any other English football club. It, I guess it's the fan base. So you do have a, a Liverpool fan base of millions and millions of people around the world who have been waiting for this moment to return to the top. And all I'd say, I know football is very tribal in this country, but I think they're a good advert for the game, not just the way they play, but the way they behave. I think the way that the, the team have behaved during lockdown, they give the impression that they're a group of guys who just like playing football together. And I think I said this to you last night, Andy, you know, we're, we're heralding the fact that Premier League football is back and it's great to work on talk sport on the product. And the Premier League have done magnificently well to stage it again. But football isn't back. Football isn't back until we can have a kick around a five-a-side with our mates from work. Football isn't back until we can stand on a touchline and watch our kids play or, you know, watch a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend play. That's when football will be back. In the meantime, we've got this elite team at the very top who actually act a bit like a Sunday football team. They just seem to be mates that doesn't you know that they're, they're a very diverse group um but that there is a real sense of togetherness i think jürgen klopp has been a perfect match for the club and i think liverpool fans should be very very proud of the way that they've represented the heritage of the club that i learned to know in the late 70s and early 80s the hawksby and jacobs daily podcast from talk sport The Talk Sport Clips of the Week. Yes, time once again to raid those dusty old mini-discs uh, that popped up uh, in an old office the other day. They're from 2005, and uh, we continue bringing some of these old clips. They weren't necessarily the kind of classic clips we bring you at Christmas, just a just a bunch of old clips. And uh, yeah. we've not heard them since, Andy, have we? So it's all new to us. Yes, I'm looking forward to hearing them. And uh, shall I start? Yeah, you do that. Uh, we start with Mike Parry with some heartfelt sympathy for a colleague. Yes, good morning. Mike Parry flying solo today. Mr Collins, I'm afraid, struck down with food poisoning. That doesn't matter. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, that's not that doesn't matter because I'm here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thankfully, Ian Collins, our old mate Ian, did recover. And here he is taking a call. Paul, hello. Hello. Hi, yeah. Paul. Welcome to Talk Sport. Yes. Welcome. Thank you. Oh, fantastic. That could have gone on for hours. Yeah, thank you. And welcome. Yeah. Well, people get nervous. You can't give them grief for that. No. People get nervous, no. don't they? That's true. Uh, we're kinder now than we were in those days. Alan Brazil now, talking referees. Yeah, but you might, people might say, yeah, but Kalina shaves his head to look well, hard. I don't think... Hard. Yeah. I don't think he does, really. I think no, he I think... doesn't want to do his hair. Do you think so? Okay, I've never really given it much thought, but okay. Uh, back to the callers and a listener from across the pond talking Newcastle, and Andy Townsend was clearly fascinated by what he had to say. It was kind of like the Alan Shearer situation. Okay. Um, I think he, I think he is going to stay. Yeah. Um, I think he can change his mind, and if he does change his mind, nobody's going to care anyways if he changes his mind. Yeah. Jordan's <laughs> love him; they're going to have him, and if he changes his mind, nobody's going to hold it against him. Cool. And the other reason I think he's going to stay is because I think when uh, Salmas gets Owen. Yeah. In the off season, for sure to take him up with Owen for his last season would even be formidable. Plus, Owen will just take the club on his own shoulders, and after that, he's been given a two by sure, basically. Yeah. Okay, Kevin. 
<laughs> what? <laughs> I didn't. I couldn't understand what? any of that. Wow, <laughs> 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 it's fantastic, wasn't it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, uh, what's they should have should have cut him off. Rodney Marsh and Paul Breen Turner now. And if you look at players like Beardsley and Lineker and, and uh, Clark and Jones at, at uh, Leeds. Leeds, remember, remember that you know yes, and Toshak yeah. and Keegan. Yeah, they always great partnerships. Always tend to come in twos. Well, that is very true, Rodney. <laughs> Definitely, that would have made Coleman balls at the time, I'm sure. Very much so, yeah. Uh, returning to Mr Parry, uh, here he is reading out some correspondence. I've had a very interesting email here from Warrington, from Andy and Shaborn. I'm sorry, I know I pronounced that wrong. It's a, it's a lovely Irish name and I've, I've, I've got it mispronounced. But anyway, Shaban. <laughs> no, I think he was close better the off first the first time. time. Yeah, he was. <laughs> if he just left the beer, he was spot on, yeah, but uh, it, it got worse, yeah. Big Al again, uh, this time talking rugby after the weekend's Six Nations action. Oh, the, the Wales record at Murrayfield is diabolical, but I just the, the, the start, there's no doubt in my mind, Delmy, that the, 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 the Welsh throw the ball about much better rugby uh, rugby side than Scotland. Scotland would have to try and, um, you know, uh, contain them by stop, start, kick, kick, win the line out. You know, yeah. it was always going to be difficult for Scotland, but the way Wales started, as I, as I say, after two, three tries, that was a turned over, not interesting anymore. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> a bit like the listeners yeah. after that long question. Yeah, it was quite long one, yeah. Uh, time now for a short-lived feature, the jingle um, for which features the voiceover talents of Andy Jacobs. And wow. it's hard to see how this never became uh, a regular item. Kevin the Lester fan basically repeats back to you what you've just said to him. It should be two of our strongest teams, not a stronger team and a less strong team, particularly one that's not even in the Premiership. But what you're saying is, is two of our strongest teams, yeah? The strongest team should be able to beat our, our weaker teams on paper, shouldn't they? Kevin the Leicester fan basically <laughs> repeats back to you what you've just said to him. Yeah. <laughs> that's weird. That came from the uh, the Alan Sugar column that he did in the yeah. Daily Mirror, wasn't it? We used to... That's right. So someone would write in and say, I started a hairdressing business two years ago and I found it quite difficult, but I've been back to the bank and they've said I can't have any more money. And then Alan would write... So you started a hairdressing business two years ago and you found it quite difficult, but you've gone back to the bank and they won't give you any more money, wouldn't it? So that's where it came it from. So Alan would basically pad it out by repeating back to you what you told oh, Lord Sugar, as I'm sure he'll insist he on being called now. Anyway, yes, we had a lot of fun with that. Uh, we'll move on. Here's a youthful um, Adrian Durham introducing a guest. All right, let's head to the uh, Medeski Stadium. Been there once, we'll go there again. The Reading chairman, John Medeski, is with us live from the stadium. Hi, John. Hi, Andrew. Oh, nice, Andrew. <laughs> nice to feel special. Good old yeah, Andrew. Very much. <laughs> this is Mike Parry. We've heard of firemen who end up setting fire to places because they're pyrotechnic maniacs. <laughs> <laughs> pyrotechnic. It was a bit of Count Arthur Strong, that, wasn't it? The way he went down that route. Pyromaniac. And, uh, more crackpot theories. He hasn't changed. And finally, returning to the subject of Mike Parry, lending a sympathetic ear, as he did with Ian Collins earlier on. Here he is with a guest who once struggled with their weight. You said it's completely under your control how ghastly life was as a fatty, to put it, uh, you know, in its perspective. Why then did you allow so many years to go by with you looking repulsive, feeling repulsive, and actually, you know, you, you, know, you could have changed it with a bit of self-discipline? Well, other people do that. They don't end up looking well, like Mr Blobby. It's, but it's but, but how disciplined do you have to be now, Andrew, to make sure you don't go back to being Billy well, Bunter? Do you have to have two different uh, wardrobes so that when you're in fat mode... 
you know, you put on the big trousers, and when you're in thin mode, you put on the small ones. But, in fact, um, you look like a bit of a blob at times, do you? <laughs> times, have, times have changed, I think, it's fair to say. Hashtag be kind. Yeah. Um, also, pot, pot and kettle a bit there, really. Surprised he never became a councillor, Mike, with that sort of approach. But, uh, I mean, that's, that's, not, that's not the man we know. I don't know what, what, was, go- what was going on there. But anyway, uh, there we are. There's some old clips from, as you can probably gather, 2005, not, not 2020. Um, so I we've did got like the first, still. the first Ian Collins one was very funny. That's yeah. not, that but no matter. Good. The Hawksby and Jacobs daily podcast from TalkSport. 
the John Peel show on Radio One, mm. and he played in the city. And it, and as soon as I heard it, it was like being smacked in the head. And it and Paul Weller was only about five years older than me, and he sounded like the first adult, if you like, that I'd really thought, yeah, I, I understand what he's talking about, and he seems to understand my life as well. So. I think it was that, really. That's what really got me hooked. He's uh, read the book, I think, hasn't he? He's sort of given you a nice quote. He did. Unrepeatable on radio. He basically said he'd forgotten <laughs> how terrible it was in Britain in the 70s. Yeah. Um, yeah, he phoned me up, which was one of the, the biggest thrills of my life. And it was a very odd moment. He said, Ian is Paul Weller. And I wanted to go, I know! <laughs> recognize okay. your voice anywhere. But I just tried to be as... In Sucyon, I just went, oh, yeah, Paul, all right, how are you? Like, you <laughs> and the That's first good. thing he said was that thing, the quote on the front cover. And um, and I thought, how nice. And we chatted, and I, I met him for dinner a few weeks later. Mm. And that's one of the byproducts that I could have never imagined when I started writing out this book. I th- maybe it was something about, I mean, I used to go, and I had a mate who was uh, into the sort of, uh, watched a lot of punk bands and he was a bit of a pathfinder and he'd tell us who he'd seen and then we'd go and watch these bands and the jam the jam was among them and it was at a time when punk was a bit of an outlier of all the other music that had come before it there was something quite sort of lineal about the jam they were like they were a bit like the who at the start weren't they you could you could see the heritage of that band in a way that maybe you couldn't some of the other bands that came from that that moment that scene and I think it's that connection with the, with the young, mm. with the kids as well. Mm. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if fans who, uh, who are people who aren't fans of the jam know. You know, they used to um, they used to invite us in for sound checks. I've been to a couple of their sound checks. I think yeah. I heard Eaton Rifles the first time in a sound check. Uh, John Weller, Paul's dad, once made me a cup of tea because it was cold out. Inside the Rainbow <laughs> Theatre, he went, "Come in, nice. keep warm. Do you want a cup of tea?" Yeah. I thought that's one more tea than my dad has ever made me. <laughs> <laughs> what about so actually people? Yeah, yeah. I was, was going to say, and what about actually people buying the book? I don't even know. I've lost track now. Are bookshops open? I think they're starting to open, aren't bookshops, they? Bookshops. Uh... Bookshops are open. I mean, it's available online. It's Waterstones and Foils and Amazon and. And the usual, you can get it on Kindle and what have you. But yeah, bookshops, I mean, they, they seem to time it just right. It's the one thing I appreciate the government doing. <laughs> um, also, I see that Phil Jupiter has uh, picked up the pen again. He's done yes. some really lovely illustrations throughout the book. Well, the thing about Phil, Phil, um, I mean, obviously, he's an old mate of mine from the comedy circuit, and I knew mm. how good an artist he was. Yeah. And then I mentioned this to him, and he straight away went, oh, this is perfect for you. But the thing was, he used to write, uh, he used to um, open for uh, the Style Council when he mm. was Porky the Poet. Yeah. So Paul liked that idea as well. You know, so it feels very connected. Fantastic. Well, so some great old pictures of you as well. You haven't, you haven't changed massively. I can, I can still picture out in the school photo. <laughs> yeah, some facial features, there's very little you can do about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, go and check it out. To Be Someone um, It's available from all good bookshops and, indeed, Amazon and uh, elsewhere. So, uh, fantastic. We must talk a little bit of football with you because uh, it's not been the, the greatest start uh, for Arsenal. Have you been sort of shocked the way things have kicked off with them? Uh, sorry, I just lost you there a second. Can you see? <laughs> yeah, it's been. Um, yeah, no, it has gone a little bit backwards, and everyone at uh, the Emirates, well, all the fans are worried. We're we're really worried about how it's going to go. 
But, um, hey, Southampton tonight, maybe they'll turn it around and the confidence will be restored. <laughs> I'm trying to convince think, myself I, here. Really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think confidence is a factor because they were on a good run before the, the, the lockdown. And when they came back, the first 20 minutes odd, City were a bit, you know, out of sorts and Arsenal looked all right. And then since then, that's when it's sort of really, confidence seems to have drained away. And uh, Saturday was, you know, was poor really, wasn't it? It was poor, but I don't think they're as bad as we all sort of feel they are. And I mean, I think it's the same both ways. You know, when they win a game amazingly well, not that I can remember many of them, but, you know, you, you get very excited. They're, they're not a terrible team, but they're a, unfortunately, they're a mid-table team at the moment, and that is not where we want to be. Hmm. Uh, what about David Louise? I mean, what's your feelings about him uh, in sticking around? Yeah, thanks, Andy, for that one. Yeah, it really, <laughs> That's really Paul, but no, don't, don't blame well, me. I'm just, well, I'm just interested because... <laughs> no, no, uh, I know it was Paul. I'm, I know. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> what do I think? What do mm. I think of David Luiz? Oh, I see what you mean, yeah, sorry. There's, there's, well, there's a lot of talk about agents and how much sway they have over the club. It seems like an odd decision uh, mm. to me because, you know, he does seem... I mean, he's given away more penalties than any other centre-half. He's... He's been sent off more than any other centre-half. It's not what you want. And his mind does go a-wandering, does it not? Um, yes. <laughs> what do I think about it? I'd rather it was someone else. I'd mm. rather it was Mustafi. How about that? <laughs> wow. OK. Yeah. That's bold. I think yeah. you say rather it was Van Dyke, but yes. I think we all would, really. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Let's not get carried away. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from TalkSport. These are worrying times, I think it's fair to say for oh, yes. everybody and if you're someone who gets a little bit stressed out then uh, I, I can imagine you need some, some, something to sort of salve the angst well John Richardson the comedian I think as we know can be a bit of a warrior um, and he has turned <laughs> to the future noughts Mark Stevenson and Ed Gillespie in a new uh, podcast John Richardson and the future noughts and we're very pleased to say that joining us now uh, is John and uh, one half of the future noughts Mark Stevenson good afternoon guys afternoon again how are you Good, thank you, John. Is it, is, it, is it working for you? Have you found these last sort of uh, 10 or so weeks with the guys, uh, the, the, you, you feel a bit a bit less stressed? Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's been a funny old time, hasn't it? It's, it's interesting mm. sort of, you know, show one we did uh, sort of nine weeks ago now, and that was on the virus and lockdown itself. And then every week it's been quite interesting breaking out of a sort of global pandemic to have a discussion about something that is not in the news very much and is undoubtedly worse and more damaging so you know it's uh we've confronted it head on but yeah we do at the end of the podcast is always about you know how we change the situation and i've yet to turn to ed and mark at the end and say what do we do about it and then say well actually there's nothing we can do so it is incredibly (laughs) um you know relieving to have to be told you know, there's things you as an individual can do starting tomorrow and there's things we as a society can do if we choose to move in that direction. And, Mark, you're tackling some uh, big subjects, aren't you? Sort of health uh, and nature and climate change and some fairly big uh, topics. And you, I mean, you and Ed, you're futurists. How do you become a futurist? Uh, it's a very good question. Um, <laughs> as far as I can work out, um, you write a book with the word future somewhere on the cover and I've done that twice and okay. there's no, there are no qualifications for being a futurist so if you want to literally put futurist on your CV I think if you just put a tweet out 
talking about something to do with the future, you, you can basically claim, I mean, we're all futurists, actually. Mm. In fact, actually, when you think about it, the thing that, that makes human beings different from every other animal is you actually think about the future and project into it. I don't think any other animal really does that beyond the season. So actually, there's a, there's a theory that says we shouldn't be called Homo sapiens, we should be called Homo, homo uh, Futuro, which is the, the ape that thinks about the future. So all of us are futurists, really. So actually, just be human is the answer. Okay. <laughs> Good advice. Uh, this has been going, hasn't it, since about 2017, but the link-up with John is new. Am I right in that, or is this all new uh, podcast? Uh, sex appeal. They needed sex appeal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ed and I had done, a, done, done some work, some live shows and a, and, a, and a sort of a prototype podcast beforehand, but what we realised that we lacked was the uh, absolute uh, OCD worrying about, say, dishwasher stacking that was really missing from our Uber. <laughs> and uh, we, we felt, who, who out there represents the most trivial worries in the world that we can reach out to? No, it's not, it, that's not how it happened, actually. I, I consulted on Ultimate Warrior along, along with Ed to, mm. um, to help John think about some of the big things that should be on that show. And uh, we just kind of decided that it would be good to air some of those conversations we were having sort of in the back room because, you know, they're very entertaining. And, and, and John is a brilliant um, questioner and kind of plays the everyman role, but he's really good at getting to the number of it and making it understandable and enjoyable and funny and all that kind of stuff as well. So it just seemed like a natural thing to do because the world is facing a huge, huge bunch of problems and we need to work out how to fix them. And the more people know about the problems and the more people are involved in the discussion about fixing them, the better it will be. And that's part of the, the reasoning behind the podcast, really. Yeah, John, I mean, you admit yourself, you're not great at not sweating the small stuff. But as we said, these are, these are huge uh, issues. Is, is that kind of helpful? Is it worse for you to sort of take on kind of great big sort of potential global catastrophes? It's a bit of both, really. It's, mm. I, I think I would actually go mad if I, if I felt like it was my job to sort it out. So, that you know, there's a certain... I, I sort of feel like by doing the podcast, that's me done. So, you know... I, in the same way that by talking about being a vegan, I think I'm allowed to eat as many steaks as I want because I'm an influencer. <laughs> so we do the podcast, I put it out. I fly each week uh, to a remote studio on an island uh, where we do the podcast and I eat meat and I smoke uh, while I do it. Because I feel like, you know, as long as I say the right things, it, it doesn't matter what life I made. So it's actually been a, a tremendous release. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mark, John, you were talking about you were talking, when in the healthcare conversation, John brought up his his, his uh, pneumonia and how before the, the the days of antibiotics it would have been very different, and I've had that as well, so I know exactly what you mean. But um, was it you, Mark, that then weighed in with uh, "I'll see your pneumonia" and give you <laughs> almost having my legs amputated? That was your story, oh, wasn't it? It was. Yeah, I, I cool. had my legs amputated, but uh, but luckily I didn't, uh, which means mm. I you know I I could if I wanted to talk about football but uh, but <laughs> i don't because i'm rubbish and then right. i feel as slightly a fraud being on your well, station right now i'm probably the least sporty person um known to man in fact you know in fact i you know i play badminton you know which i don't i don't think you cover that a lot on talk sport do you uh, not, not, massive. not massively. That's yeah. Talk Badminton, my, our sister station, of course. <laughs> that that, yeah. that can, kind of hoovers up all the badminton chat generally. Yeah, the people yeah. who find tennis too fast and violent. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> I was going to say to you, John, uh, one of my favourite shows in lockdown has been Meet the Richardsons. I, I really, really enjoyed oh, it. It's, it's funny and it's, it's one of those shows that kind of... It's it's obviously based on truth, but it kind of blurs that, doesn't it? And uh, how much? How much? We ask this a lot, but how much of it is you and your wife, and how much of it is 
written and, and set? I mean, it's broadly. I mean, every episode is is based on a truth. So you know, the 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 Jonathan Ross party episode is because Lucy is obsessed with the idea of going to Jonathan Ross's party, and every year I don't want to go. And the, you know, the <laughs> private school episode. So they're all they're all absolutely based in truth. Sometimes we've had to go back, and obviously, you know, cameras weren't there at the time, so we've had to sort of reconstruct a thing. But yeah, every every storyline is fed by an argument so we always start by sitting on the couch and arguing with each other for two days and then we sort of <laughs> splice that up and work out what was just a personal grievance and what is a storyline that is of an entertainment value to anybody else hmm. uh, John you would have seen uh, as a Leeds fan that um, that you're, you're a fan uh, an, an unwelcome fan pop up uh, at Ellen Road in cardboard form Osama Bin oh, Laden yes. somebody decided <laughs> and uh, no oh, one within okay. Leeds United's marketing department uh, spotted that, unfortunately. Um, so, I mean, I this imagine is... it's not happening at every... It yeah. It happened uh, abroad, didn't it? it? It does seem, you know, somebody had to print it and somebody had to put it on the chair. There, there seems to be a lot of phases at which that might have been spotted, but... Yeah. I mean, I he was quite well-known, wasn't he? I mean, so you would Bin think... Bin was an Arsenal <laughs> fan. Well, he, that, that was right. But you would have... Someone at one point would have said, even at the printers, and said... <laughs> Are you sure about this? Because this fella looked familiar. I mean, it, yeah. but it, it had quite a few uh, different sort of people's people had hands. Seen it, exactly. it, it had to go through. It's, it's it's very true. You do wonder. And I mean, not not the greatest uh, return for Leeds the other day. Are you at all nervous, or do you think it's in the bag promotion? I was nervous through the season. I was nervous through lockdown. You know, all these fans <laughs> jumping on the bandwagon now, getting stressed. I've been stressed mm. about this for years. You know. It, it, <laughs> fundamentally shouldn't believe that anything good will ever happen to you until it's absolutely confirmed and in the bank. So, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm tense. There's obviously a lot riding on Saturday. And, and obviously with sort of Bielsa in charge, it's not just, you know, it's not just an issue for Leeds fans. It's an issue for humanity. And it's a, it's a debate about whether you allow the best people on the planet to suffer. And I think, you know, there should be at some point a conversation about whether Fulham step aside in the way we did for one goal at Aston Villa, whether actually the rest of the championship should step aside so that a great man gets some happiness in his, in his final years of management. Controversial. And uh, <laughs> Mark, Mark, what about, I mean, how do you see as a few, uh, futurist, how would you see the future of badminton in the next few years in this, in this, in this uh, very different world? Uh, I'm not sure about that, but I mean... <laughs> I have been, I have been doing, like in the day job as a futurist, like, mm. we have been doing some work with UK sport on, on the UK sports strategy. Mm. And one of the things that I think is interesting about sport is it has this incredibly central role in culture. And it's where a lot of things decided before we realised they're decided in terms of to do with uh, a prejudice or to do with technology. Because sport, the great thing about sport is it doesn't care about your class. And also it has the idea of fairness baked into it from the get-go. So it's a really good barometer, I think, for testing all sorts of ideas and whatever. And I find that, you know, without sport, the whole world would be would have would lost a laboratory on the human spirit. So, and and and, and particularly team sports. And one of the things that we were saying to UK sport was, if you look at the medals, they've all been for sports. You know, they've kind of gone for the sports that are cheapest to get the least number of people. So it's all been like, you know, sing, you know, cyclists and, you know, they don't have any team sports um, because that was the cheapest book. But now what we're saying to them is like, actually, if you want to get the, the, the country moving you need to be actually creating creating 
heroes and an Olympic medal winners out of the team sports as well. But, you know, that's a bit controversial because that's more expensive to do. But I think that's the way we've got to go because we've gone as far as we can actually now in count mm. with the sports we've got. So I feel they've really got to get back to, to really going for those more expensive medals. But I think they're more involved in for society. The Hawksby and Jacobs daily podcast from Talk Sport. Hawksby and Jacobs uh, here on Talk Sport. Yes, and uh, I don't know if you saw, Paul, there's so much chat about Michael Jordan during lockdown because of uh, The Last Dance, that excellent documentary on Netflix, which if you haven't seen, it's well worth watching. Uh, I think most people have, though. Uh, and the shoes that he uh, that were going to go out for auction did get sold for $560,000. I mean, that is match-worn Jordan shoes, but blimey, that's uh, quite a lot of money, isn't it? Really? Wow, wait, and, yeah. And the worst thing about them... I was going to say, Andy, somebody has done a very uh, funny uh, thing on um, social media. They have cut in uh, a bit of Neil Warren managing the yeah. Chicago Bulls. <laughs> it's uh, Neil yeah. having a meltdown in yeah. the dressing room. And so beautifully edited was cutaways of Rodman and Jordan and and others but yeah it's worth checking out if you can find it on social media it's ridiculous media. Yeah. The, actual ori- the actual original of that I watched last night I don't know why it's popped up suddenly resurfaced mm. but it was on social media last night and oh Neil really tears into them doesn't he absolutely oh, yeah. and what I can't work out is it seems to be the last match of the season so I don't know you know I'm not going to doubt Neil's motivational techniques but I can't really see the point of sending the players away with a flea in their ear but maybe it worked for him next season so who who knows anyway the thing about these shoes is you, you couldn't wear them because one's a size 13 and one's a size 13 and a half he had different size feet which a lot of people do but they, that's how they were made for him with different uh, different fittings oh okay uh, now yeah well, i thought you'd be fascinating isn't it now uh there was a i don't know if you saw those photos in the paper a, bloke, a young boy actually took some photos with a, a drone of a white great white shark circling some swimmers and basically they were completely unaware of this shark they were all happy frolicking away there and the sharks like closing in on them and he shouts to his dad get them out the water and they do they all eventually flee but i was reading all about it and uh, a shark expert was saying that basically uh, the video is a good example showing that humans are not part of the great white shark's diet incidents where surfers have been bitten resulted from a shark mistaking them for seal so not the uh, oh, yeah. singer, obviously. <laughs> I've heard, no, not for Seal the singer, but no, I've heard that. I have heard that before, Andy. Yeah, that's that. They must often... be a bit disappointed when they actually sort of bite a human. Think, Too oh, late then, though, isn't it? Really, this, from, this, see, from this your seal point of view, disgusting. Yes, well, from you, you're not in a position to say, "Well, I'm sorry, you thought I was a seal." <laughs> Did you see? Talking of fishing, Andy. Um, well, mm. we kind of weren't talking about fishing, were we? But you know what I mean. This was a yeah. story about an angler uh, called. Um, Ryan McDonald, he has landed one of the rarest mm. uh, fish you can possibly find in uh, British waters, a sturgeon. And, uh, a they, caviar yeah. producer. Yeah, I don't know if it is in the old... As uh, they in, in tabloid thesaurus. Yeah, uh, he said, um, funny enough, he normally fishes in ponds, uh, but he hooked a 25-pound sturgeon. I don't know if he was looking for stickleback and they just took the bait, but... Um, <laughs> But the interesting thing was, he said, crazy. 10 minutes before I caught the fish, a bird pooed on me. Oh, uh, my mate luck. Well, exactly. He said, my mate said, that's good luck. And then I catch this uh, huge fish, the biggest of my life. So, I mean, look, people often say that is the case, but rarely do you get an example of it paying off uh, qu- <laughs> quite so quickly. Really, do you? Oh, hang about waiting for a pigeon tonight. See if I can bring Chelsea and then some luck. and then go and do the lottery. That's the way to do it. <laughs> Did you know that uh, Big Sam Allardyce was uh, 
basically a gymnastics ace. I read about this uh, earlier in the week. Uh, The former football manager, 65, who cares, revealed that as a teenager, he loved trampolining and could vault a pommel horse no problem. So uh, there you go. He was, uh, it was because it basically the, the teachers didn't think he was that good academically. So he ended up doing gymnastics. But anyway, he ended up being a footballer, a football manager. But there yeah, you go. Yeah, so a great a loss knew? to the world of gymnastics. Much more money, of course, in the world of, uh, of football management, I would imagine. Olga Allardyce. I can see him doing that nice little yeah. flick at the end. Well, next time he's on with Alan, they'll have to have a bit of a chat about that. You know, I understand, uh, Sam. You equate the gymnast. It'll be good. I think it'll be quite... A, Quite an interesting chat, certainly. Anyway, do you want a bit of Striker? Oh, yes. Carry now, on. This is Striker, the Steve Bruce uh, murder mystery book, uh, one of three fine books, along with Defender and Sweeper. Uh, he, he, obviously, well, I suppose he'd cover, he didn't do midfielder. Maybe that's still to come. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's a, it's a fantastic book. We're up to episode 65. We bring you a little bit of it uh, every day here on the show. Brought to life by uh, Ian Danter with his fine Steve Bruce impersonation. And so let's rejoin it then. And the Lettersford Town manager, Steve Barnes, is in an altercation with his captain, Martin Thornton. Also involved in the argument is one of the town wags, Michelle, who's pregnant and claims Martin is the father of her child, and also the murderer of Lettersford's star striker, Pat Duffy. Chapter 11. Alerted by the shouting, Julie entered the room. Martin Thornton yelled at me to release him. Michelle was giving Martin a piece of her mind. I was trying to silence both of them and add into the hubbub. It was bedlam in there. Julie, get me some mineral water, will you? What is it with mineral water? At that moment, I would happily have settled for something stronger. But when you get older, you've got to look after yourself that much better. I wanted to keep in trim for as long as was possible and sensible. So, mineral water it was. Oh, well, that explains it. Martin, as you can see, Michelle is having a baby. It's pretty obvious, he said. You know Michelle, don't you? We attended the same school, Martin replied. Are you, as Michelle says, the father of the child? Of course he is, Michelle interrupted. As far as I know, Martin answered, almost flippantly. Michelle flared angrily. Of course you are, Martin. There's been no other man. Not even our gifted young Irish striker, Martin said sarcastically. I was beginning to understand that Pat Duffy was not universally liked. Envy, even of another person's talents, can be a corrosive emotion. That's a good name for a band, particularly from Newcastle. Corrosive emotion. I'd simply not expected such jealousy of Martin Thornton. A young man in love or consumed with jealousy cannot always control his emotions as he should. So you didn't like Pat Duffy, I said. Couldn't stand him, Martin said. Would it be true to say that you hated him? His guts, Martin replied. Oh, his guts, uh, no his less. Yeah. The ad living, it's getting more, it's longer than the actual bit. You it's good, I think, he's, I think he's, uh, he's bringing it to life, old dance. Oh, Tremendous. yeah, very much. So, blimey, episode 65 that was. And uh, we're getting there, though. There's only, I think, it's two chapters left. It takes, it, we get to, yeah, but, yeah, a couple of chapters to go and we're done. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. 
from TalkSport. There we are. That was uh, this afternoon's show. Thanks very much for listening. Uh, Andy and I are taking a bit of a long weekend now. We'll leave you in the capable hands of Max uh, Rushton and Charlie Baker, and we'll be back next Tuesday. You've been listening to the Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. Hear the guys every weekday between 1 and 4 p.m. on TalkSport. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.